Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put, on, put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you thank you for this day that you've given us to celebrate your son and his death on the cross. Would you glorify your name here and now by doing a miracle in our hearts, Lord, for those whose faith as weak, or perhaps those who do not believe at all, would you grant faith for those who are weary? I pray that you would grant relief and for all of us, Lord. I pray that we would have eyes to see so that we might rejoice and praise you. All glory to you and to your Son. Amen. Well, today is a day of celebration. And that seems strange to most of us, perhaps, at least in a culture that looks at death and is inclined to mourn at death. For today we look to the death of Christ and it would seem to the world like a day that is worth mourning. But today is not a day for mourning, unless we are mourning our sin, which would be fitting. But we ought not mourn the death of Christ, which is strange. Death normally leads to mourning. And for the disciples on that first Good Friday and the days that led after then, they certainly did mourn because death is the result of sin. And all sin is worth mourning. And certainly Christ's death was a result of sin. Though he was completely innocent, he was killed. And not just killed, he was murdered brutally on the cross. And yet... We rejoice because we are not remembering this as a tragedy. 
Good Friday is not a funeral because funerals are for the dead. And we know that our Lord is not dead, but he lives. And we will celebrate that more fully on Sunday. But for tonight, no, this is not a funeral service. We do not sing a dirge, but we celebrate a victory that our Lord has won for us on the cross. So tonight, I'm preaching a short sermon, and I figured it would be good to focus on just a short few words. And they're the words that our Lord said, his final words there on the cross when he said, it is finished, but make no mistake about it, though those words are few and even one word in the original language, those words are full of meaning. So I want to focus on three aspects about these words tonight. The words, it is finished, we will see, show that Jesus' death on the cross was decisive. That is to say, his death was intentional. It was not a second plan or a third plan of God's. No, this was God's plan A from the very beginning of time. His death was decisive. And after that, we're going to consider what it means that Jesus' death was productive. That his death accomplished something that God intended. And finally, we're going to consider what it means for his death to be redemptive. And so first, let's consider the decisive death of Jesus. Make no mistake about it, Jesus' death was no accident. He willingly went to the cross. Repeatedly, Jesus predicted that he would die. He even set his face towards Jerusalem when others would persuade him not to go because he was born for this purpose. He came into the world for this purpose, that he would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. From a distance, it may have seemed as if his death happened to him from the point of Judas's betrayal, his unjust trial, all the way leading up to his death as the centurions hung him there upon the cross. But make no mistake of it, Jesus' death was planned by the Father. And not only that, but Jesus' death happened because he willingly went to the cross, as he said in John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Have you ever accidentally accomplished something? Perhaps throwing like a, a paper airplane or something like it, and it just happens to fall in the trash bin. And then you boast and say, yeah, I meant for that to happen, though really it was an accident. That's what you think is going on here. You have the wrong idea. What Christ accomplished on the cross was his doing. He laid down his own life so that we might have life in him. And we see that from the very beginning of time. We've already read it in Genesis 3 when God said to the serpent that a son would come from Eve who would bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise the heel of that son. And we heard it again from Isaiah 53 that Christ was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. No, those are Old Testament prophecies about what was yet to happen. 
And yet they pointed forward because the death of Christ was the plan of God. And this isn't just true of various readings of Scripture, but even John made this abundantly clear time and time again. He pointed out that the death of Christ was done in order to fulfill Scripture. Listen to John 19, 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. This comes from Psalm 69, who David, an ancestor of Christ, would write thousands of years before, thousand years before Jesus was even there on the cross. And this isn't the only time the scripture was fulfilled here in Jesus' death. John recounts two other scriptures that were also fulfilled right after Jesus died. Listen to verses 31 through 37. Since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. And then John has this little side about what's going on with the spear having pierced Jesus' side. John says this, He who saw it, John saw this happen. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, quoting Moses from the book of Exodus. And again, another scripture says that they will look on him whom they have pierced, this time quoting the prophet Zechariah. John's point is this. These prophecies were fulfilled in Christ's death on the cross and those prophecies were fulfilled for this purpose so that you might see and believe. So that you might see that Christ came and died just as the scriptures foretold. And having known that he did this, John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so know this, that his death was decisive, and in doing so, as we look at all these different prophecies, I want us to do that. I want us to believe. I want us to rely on Christ all the more. Let me illustrate it by, by comparing all these prophecies to a lock and key, okay? If you know how a, a lock and key works, a key can be generic, and it can fit into many different locks, but only a very special key will be able to unlock the door because that special key has these bumps and ridges that apply precise pressure to all the pins in the lock. And so you can put a key in that's really close to being a match, but if just one little bump is a little bit off, the pressure will be different and it won't release all the pins and thus the lock will not be able to be turned and, and opened. And so, too, we have in every single prophecy in the Old Testament 
pins, so to speak, in a lock. These prophecies are pointing to a future day when a son would come, a Messiah would come, a suffering servant would come and bear the sins of the world. And of all the prophecies, Christ fulfilled them all so that we might believe. Now we are only scratching the surface of what made the death of Christ so good, so let us continue now and consider the productive death of Jesus. When Jesus declared there on the cross, it is finished, he didn't simply mean that he is the climax of Scripture, though that is true and glorious. And this alone would be incredible and give us reason to marvel. But by itself, just him fulfilling all these prophecies, at least on the surface, by itself, wouldn't be good news, would it? But more than this, Jesus finished a work that the Father sent him to do. And this is worth rejoicing in, because the Father sent his Son to die for our sins. Every one of us sets out to do something, to accomplish a kind of work, one or another, and yet not a single one of us is able to say that we have finished all that we have set out to do. That's why every New Year's we have New Year's resolutions. That's why every new week we have new goals of, of tasks that we are to do. That's why when we are around the house, if some of us sit for too long, we get a little bit antsy because there's dishes to be done. There's always work to do. And yet this is all the more so true for us when we compare all the works of God's commands that he has called us to do. And yet not a single person can say that we have finished the work that God has called us to do. In fact, None of us can say without any certainty at all that we have kept all the commandments of God. And yet some of us might think, like the rich young ruler, we might say, all these I have kept since my youth. And yet Jesus would say to us, just as he said to them, there is still something you lack. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned and deserve the wrath of God to be poured out upon us. All have sinned, that is, except for one. And that is Jesus Christ. Though in every way Christ was tempted as we are, Hebrews 4.15 says, yet he is without sin. Jesus lived a sinless life, a sinless baby, a sinless boy, a sinless young man, all the way even up until the point of his death, he was without sin. And he obeyed the Father perfectly even to the point of death where he could say, it is finished. Though he bore the law upon his shoulders. And though he even bore the penalty of sin upon himself in such a way that he himself would pray to the Father and say, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so it was, he accomplished the will of the Father there at the cross, finishing all that he was sent to do. And so in light of this, this is where this day becomes such glorious, good news. Because Christ was productive even in his death and even in all of his life, you can rest in Christ, for he obeyed God perfectly. Christ, yes, he fulfilled all the prophets, but moreover, he fulfilled all righteousness. And his perfect righteousness is ours. 
brothers and sisters. And so he invites us to come to him. Come to me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Understand, you do not need to pretend like you are perfect. And more than this, you do not need to work to somehow try to earn God's approval. For Christ's righteousness is yours if you believe in Jesus Christ tonight. And so rest from your labors. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that is Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. And that is why we celebrate Good Friday when Jesus died. Which leads us finally and briefly to the final point, the redemptive death of Jesus. We've already talked about Jesus having fulfilled the prophets, and we've considered what it means for Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, but both of these point to this final end. What did Jesus accomplish when he said, it is finished? He accomplished redemption. He accomplished the work that leads to our life if, in fact, we believe in him. For in him, we have the forgiveness of sins. Our transgressions have been washed away. We are clothed now in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So when, on that day when we stand before the Father, he will look at us and he will see his son's perfect record of righteousness now credited to us if in fact we do believe. After Jesus cried out, his last words, all the other gospel accounts tell us this, that the curtain there in the temple tore in two from top to bottom. That curtain that once separated man from entering into the holy of holies no longer exists. So now we have been reconciled to God. You might think, well, my sins are too great for God to be able to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sins. Well, if you think that, know this, you are insulting the riches of Christ's blood. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 1, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And so brothers and sisters, because the redemptive death of Jesus has been accomplished, we can rejoice in Christ, for he has purchased us with his blood. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so we have to say with Paul, who is there to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. The death of Christ is good news for those of us who believe. And so rejoice, brothers and sisters. 
Yes, the death of Christ was a wicked act of men, the most vile, sinful thing that was ever done in all of human history. And yet Joseph's words of comfort to his brothers are fitting for us to remember even on this Good Friday. Joseph said this to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And this is what happened there at the cross. Our sins and even the sins of men who put them there on the cross, though it was evil, it was the good plan of God so that we might live. And so brothers and sisters, let us rejoice in that. Let us rest in him and let us believe today. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your son whom you set forward to die in our place. We thank you that in him we have life here and now, but even in death we know this, that we will be raised with him. And so, Lord, we thank you. I pray that you would strengthen our faith. I pray that you would cause us to rest in Christ. And I pray that the effect of this would have its full so that you would be glorified in our life and even in our own death as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of your Son, Amen.